Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you out. It's so fun to be able to be here and tell the story of what God has been doing. God is at work throughout the globe. No matter what you're hearing, the news sometimes is just not very encouraging, but God is at work. And I want to tell you just a little story of how God has been working in Papua New Guinea. Um, in keeping line with, in keeping in line with uh, what Paul said, when he came back from his first missionary journey, um, he came back and reported to the Antioch Church, his home church, all that God had done. Emphasis on what God had done, right? We're powerless. We're nothing imp- uh, impressive at all. It's God that does the work as, as He works through His servants. But first, before I tell the story. I wanted to, some of you may have met my older children who are now both married. My son Micah on the very left in this picture next to his bride Sally. They're in, in, he's in the army there in, in um, Colorado, Colorado. And uh, then my daughter Michaela, she's in Texas with her husband um, who got married here. Like Clovis said, Clovis was able to marry Michaela and Tobia. So a few years back, last century... We were a privilege to be able to get married here in Prescott in 1989. And then the church, Cornerstone Church, was just getting started right about the same time. And they welcomed us with open arms and said, come join us. And uh, the Vitellas are here. You want to wave your hands? Vitellas, they're in the very back. They were charter members, some of the very first people we met. Um, <clears throat> Phil and Renee, Renee's father and mother were just so instrumental. They so loved on us, right? Uh, as we gave birth to our son, Micah, and then later to Michaela, they were there with us, helping us from the very beginning. And it's just so cool. So cool to be part of this church from way back. The big idea for today, as you can see on your little handout, is God invites us to join him. God invites us to join him in his beautiful plan to bring people to himself from every single group around the globe. God invites us. I want to tell my story. When we got married in 1989, right after that, we were, um, I started a little company and it's nothing to brag about. Susan went to um, nursing college right here at Yavapai College. And in those first years, see, we had, God had impressed on both of our hearts before we were married this idea of taking the message of the cross to a place it's never been. But as I was involved in business and she was busy with nursing, we sort of slowly started moving away from that passion, that vision. And I thought, well, maybe I can make a whole bunch of money and retire early and then spend the rest of my life as a self-supporting missionary. I had these ideas. And uh, I was involved here with the worship team, uh, Cornerstone Worship Team, and uh, also helping with different Bible studies or whatever we had an opportunity to do. And I, and, and, and I started helping missionaries, like uh, supporting missionaries and that kind of thing. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll just work, make a pile of money, and then later at the end of my life, uh, give whatever's left to the Lord. The Lord started knocking on my heart's door with a verse that's very familiar, but this verse would bother me and plague me. Matthew 6.33. I'm sure you're familiar with the verse. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and then he's going to take care of the food and the clothes and all the other needs we're going to have in our life. Seek first his kingdom. When he hit me with this verse, I realized that I wasn't seeking first his kingdom. I was seeking first my kingdom and hoping to amass something for myself. And then later at the end, give something back to him. Or I was spending all my time in the week, during the week, you know, all my energy or most of my energy for my purposes, my kingdom, with just a little bit left over on the weekend to offer to God. He kept hitting me with this verse and then reminding us, Susan and myself, of God's passion, one of God's passions, one of his themes from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through to the end is this idea of drawing people to himself from every single people group. Do you know in Genesis, when God blessed when God blessed Abraham, what was it about? So that all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. All the people groups, all the peoples of the earth. And then other verses all the way through Psalms and the prophets, God mentions the nations. The nations will glorify you. God has always had a passion for every single people group of the world. And during this time where we were in business, And Susan was busy in nursing school. 
we were feeling our hearts tugged toward the, the American dream, right? And then God was pulling me back saying, no, my, my dream, my vision, my goal, my passion is for people from every single group of the world. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, to all nations, and then the end will come. You want to know when, when God's going to wrap up the world? Here it is. His testimony of his kingdom will go to all nations and then the end will come. Only he knows how that's going to work out, but he's inviting us to join him in this job of taking his glory to the nations. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, another familiar, very familiar verse that sometimes we gloss over a little too quickly. He said, go and make disciples of what? All nations. We have a job to do right here in Prescott and right here in the United States, but it can't stop there. It's got to go to all nations. Make disciples. Making disciples can't be done in a short-term summer trip. Boy, I'm grateful for people that have helped us on short-term summer trips. I'm so grateful. And boy, if you have a chance to get in on a short-term trip, do it. But you can't make disciples that way. God was calling me to, him, to his plan saying, look at this, look at this, consider this, pray about this, seek first my kingdom, make disciples of all nations. And we know that the job is going to get done one way or another. God's going to bring this all together. He is going to reveal himself to every nation. Because in Revelation 7, 9, there's other verses like this also, but where it says, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, and people, and language standing before the throne. Boy, do I look forward to that day when the chaos is done and we're gathered around his throne. Do I hear an hallelujah? (laughs) Hallelujah, amen. I can't wait. But it's not just us. It's not just the Israelites and ourselves. It is who? People from every single tongue, tribe, and nation. So going back to the big idea, God invites us all to take part in this, this idea, taking the message of the cross to a place it's never been before. So Susan and myself, um, we were being drawn by the Lord to be, take part in this, to take a more active role in this. And we decided we wanted to go to Papua New Guinea with a New Tribes Mission that is now called Ethnos 360. Still in New Guinea, it's called New Tribes Mission, so I refer to it that way, that by that old name often. But where is Papua New Guinea? It's in the South Seas, just north of Australia, in the country of New Guinea itself. Do you know um, Cornerstone supports three, three families that minister in Papua New Guinea, but we're not in the same place at all. I don't know if you can see this map. But the Williams, who we heard from recently, less than a year ago, the Williams are in the very center of this map. Um, our tribe, the Hewa tribe, is a little bit to the left, uh, west of that. And the, the uh, Bakers, they're way off the coast on another island that's part of Papua New Guinea. But, okay, why Papua New Guinea? Why, why did we go there? It's because in that country, that island country in the South Pacific, there's over 800 different language groups, 800 different language groups. And of those language groups, many are continually asking for help. They're asking for missionaries to come and live with them. The door's wide open. They have all kinds of funny expectations. It's not that they're just hungry to fall down in front of their creator in repentance. They have expectations, but the door is wide open. When Susan and I were hearing those stories, we decided, you know what? The Lord is leading us that direction. And so we went to Papua New Guinea, 19, I'm sorry, 1999, the summer of 99, we went there and we started learning the Melanesian pidgin language. That's the language that's spoken in town. And while we were there, we connected with some other families that were new also, and they wanted to go to this strange place out in the mountains called Hewa, to the Hewa tribe. And as we prayed together with them, we decided, okay, let's be a team of four families And we chartered a helicopter, went out there to meet this group of people. We chartered a helicopter, but we had to have somebody that could help us interpret. We found somebody that could be an interpreter for us. Went way out there and met this little group of people. And we said to them through the interpreters, why have you been asking for missionaries? You know what their answer was? We We know we're in the darkness of the jungle. And we know you have the message of the light. We want you to come and teach us. Isn't that cool? God was preparing their hearts. Yeah, praise the Lord. 
you come and teach us. So we decided, okay, the Lord's opened the door, let's go. So the four, us four families, we went in and started clearing the jungle and enough room to build our houses and enough room to build an airstrip. And it just took a lot of work, but praise the Lord for the volunteers who came from the States that help us through every part of this process and who financed it so that we could open up this mission center way out there in the, man, middle of nowhere. And we, as soon as we had a, like a place kind of established and homes to live in, we focused full time on this idea of learning the language, but not just the language, the culture of the Hewa tribal people. As we were learning, the reason we learn their culture, the reason we study their culture is because we need to know how they think. It's very different than the way we think. Very different. And so we have to understand what makes them tick. We have to understand what they're thinking so that we can apply in the future, apply the word of God to their language when we get it translated. So we were studying, developing friendships, trying to get close. It took about four and a half years to get fluent enough to where we could start translating the Bible. And by then, my closest friends were Yanis, who's here at the desk with me, helping me translate, and Ayaka, and Kelepi, and Yoke. Some of these guys helped me learn the language, but then helped me start this process of translating. And uh, the, the, the veteran missionaries had told us, hey, when you get ready... Um, it's probably not such a good idea to start in the Gospels. It's probably a good idea to start with Genesis. Now, where would you start if you were taking the message of the Bible to a brand new place? We thought, man, we want to get to the story of Jesus because that's the good part, right? But we realized there's real value, real wisdom in laying the foundation, laying a good foundation so that they understand how precious Jesus is. So when we were translating, we started with Genesis to introduce God as the creator who made everything because he made you and me people. He, in effect, owns us, and we have a responsibility to listen to him. Just like when a Hewa makes an arrow, a Hewa man makes an arrow, it's his arrow. He can do with it whatever he wants. And, okay, so we're owned by God, and we have a responsibility to hear what he has for us. And um, we taught the next, I'm sorry, we weren't in preparation for teaching. We were translating the next stories, you know, Adam and Eve, and how they rejected God. They disobeyed God. And then Cain and Abel, we translated through the main stories like uh, Noah and the flood and Abraham, how God had chose him to develop a nation that would be as priests to the entire world so that the light could go to everybody in the world. And uh, translated, you know, Noah and the flood, the, the um, uh, Moses, and I said that out of order, didn't I? Moses and the law so that we could introduce God's standard of what's right and wrong. Because everybody has an idea, their idea of what they think is right and wrong. The Hewa tribal people also do. They have their idea of what the worst sin is, you know, and what, what, what's not a bad sin, that kind of thing. But defining what God sees as right and wrong, his standard. So we translated through parts of the, the law, and then we were moving toward the New Testament and translated enough of Mark in order to represent Jesus, the one who has come to save us from our sins, to pay our sin debt. So, it makes no sense to translate the Bible unless there's people that can read it, right? So, my wife and uh, our co-worker, Keith Copley, by then, uh, two of the families had left. They had already left us, so it was just the Copleys and ourselves. Keith Copley and Susan, they spent their time um, devoted to developing a primer, a set of primers in order to teach the group how to read and write. And so as the first pilot program of 10 students were getting taught, we were getting ready to teach the Bible, and we made an announcement. Hey, we're going to be able to start teaching on June 20th. This is 2005. We said, we're going to start teaching, so get your gardens ready, get your houses ready, whatever project you have going on, be sure and finish it up, because when we start teaching, it's going to be every day. And it's going to go through several months. It ended up being nearly six months of teaching, right? So we said, get ready, get everything ready. And it sounded like uh, everybody was on board with that. And uh, so finally, we, when the day arrived, we started teaching. Sometimes out in the yard, this was to make sure that they understood that this wasn't about a building, a church building. This is about a message that God wants to contact us. He wants to draw us to surrender to him. And uh, so we out in the lawn and sometimes in front of village huts, we started going through this process, creation all the way through Christ. As, as we taught, we finally got to the life of Jesus, introduced him as the hero of the story. And uh, um, here you can see we are, we're using drama. Keith is on the ground with 12 
disciples acting out the Lord's Last Supper. You can see behind behind us on the wall of this hut is uh, some pictures. We were trying to use pictures to explain and help them get a visual of what's going on. We finally got to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus where my friend Yanis was able to act this out. And a church was born. You have brothers and sisters in Christ out there in the jungle. Praise the Lord. Thank you. But it wasn't quite as exciting as I just kind of let on. Every adventure comes with hardship. Is that not right? <laughs> let me back up and tell a little bit more of the story. A little bit, Make it a little bit more complete to tell some of the struggles, some of the problems that went into this, some of the distractions, some of the reasons why actually not very many people trusted in Christ. I was hoping the whole village would fall on their knees in front of their creator and say, God, we worship you. But that's not how it happened. At best, we thought maybe 20, but really maybe not even 10. Maybe it was five that really got the message and understood that Jesus had made a way for them to have a relationship with their creator. So what happened? What happened? What happened that made it so that they weren't listening and weren't engaged and didn't understand this message when they had asked for us to bring the light to them? So I'm going to introduce you to some people as a backstory. Before, uh, when we got to the place where we had announced the day, June 20, we're going to start teaching the message of the Bible. When we made that announcement, we were all excited as, you know, Keith and I, Angie and Susan, we were all excited because we're finally going to do what we were here to do. But then we were hearing, we were hearing that a local witch doctor, this fella right here, Tawadamofi is his name. He made a similar announcement. As soon as he heard our announcement, he made an announcement. On June 20, we're going to start a spirit training. I want all the young men right now to come help me. All the young men of this village, come help me. We're going to go to a different area. We're going to clear trees. We're going to build a giant spirit house. And I'm going to teach you the ways of the ancestors. I want everybody to come and help me. Young men, even the women, to make gardens and um, to cook food for the young men as I do this teaching session. When I heard this, my heart was grieved. Oh, my word, we put so much effort into coming here to teach us this message. And one of the local witch doctors has decided he's going to start a competing training, a spirit training. So I, we prayed about it. And I, with my son, Micah, I hiked over there. And I talked to Tawada. You're my friend. You're part of the group that asked missionaries to come and teach What's going on? And he says, oh, Jonathan, don't worry about it. In our conversation, he pulled out this money, this Tukina bill. And he said, look at this. See the lines on this money? He's talking about the watermarks. He said, the spirits put those there, those lines. He says, and at night when I'm sleeping, the spirits tell me what those lines mean. So if somebody is sick, they can come to me. I'll look at their money. <laughs> I'll get their money and I'll look at it, right? Okay, I'm going to look at their money and I'm going to divine what the sickness is and how they can recover. He says, if we do this right, he says, I and the boys, or the young men, are building a fence around Hewa territory. If we do this right, no one will ever get sick. No one will ever die again. He's talking about eternal life, isn't he? Right here on earth. He says, if we do this right, no one will ever get sick again. So people are going to come. They're going to bring me their money. We're going to offer pigs blood. We're going to make pig sacrifices to the spirits just like the ancestors taught us. He says, I need to do this. It's to protect the Hewa people. He says, not only that, if we do this right, if we harmonize all the spirits just right, our gardens will always be successful. Our hunting trips will always be successful. He says, we've always been on the bottom underneath enemies, underneath their thumb. They're always extorting and trying to kill us. But he says, if we do this right, we will always be on the top. Enemies will, no, enemies will no longer have the advantage over us. He says, I'm obligated to build this fence, and the Haywa boys are going to help me. The young men are going to help me. I said, Tawada, this is the same story. I've studied your culture, and I realized that what you're talking about right now is the very same thing your ancestors have always taught. But eternal life is elusive. He, I said, we've got a story. You've heard that story before. I've got a brand new story from the Bible. It's God's story. You need to hear this. You don't, if you don't want to hear it, that's all right. It's up to you. But don't keep all the young men over here. They need to hear this story. And he says, but I've got this covered. 
he pulled out a piece of the Bible, a section, a torn section of the Bible. He handed it to me. I looked at it. Sure enough, an old King James portion of the Bible in English, you know, and I looked at it and I'm like, Tower, do you learned English? You learned how to read? He wasn't part of our literacy program. And he says, oh, I can do it. He says, when I'm telling you, when I go to sleep, the spirits come to me, including my sister who had died before. They come to me. And they tell me what the Bible says and also what the ancestors say. And so together with the help of the spirits, I can teach both the Bible and the ways of the ancestors. I've got this covered. Oh, my goodness. My heart was just so torn. But I returned back to the village, prayed with Keith and Angie Copley and with our wives and with Susan. And we decided, you know what, let's just get started. So while we were teaching the message of the Bible over those months... Tawadamofi was, you know, he was teaching um, the young men and others how to paint these spirit bark pictures. These are big planks or panels of bark with pictures that they painted while they were there. And he was showing them how to do animal sacrifices, blood sacrifices. He was showing them how to do all night dances, all the ways of the ancestors. And he was telling them that he was telling them the message of the Bible at the same time. So do you think it helped? Do you think that death stopped? Eternal life started? Unfortunately not. Boy, that was quiet. That was crickets. Do you think eternal life started? Death stopped? (laughs) You can't stop death. The story is wrong. The ancestors have stories, but they go off the track. There was people that died. A couple of ladies that died in childbirth. Very sad. Some children died. Okay, so that was one thing that was going on that was taking people away from the teaching of the word. They would come and hear what I had to say, what Keith and I were teaching for a little while, and then go back to the to Tawadamofi's teaching. As they would go back and forth, they couldn't remember who Adam and Eve were. They couldn't remember who Noah was. They didn't remember who Abraham was or Moses. They're like, is he your father? Someone back in the States? Somebody you know? They were confused. So, But that wasn't the only problem. There was also another um, self-proclaimed uh, shaman kind of guy. His name was Samson of all things. And he told the young men, this is backing up a little bit earlier, after we had finished the airstrip, he told all the people, the young men, to get their drums and start beating their drums out in the airstrip. And so they beat their drums from morning all the way through the heat of the day, all the way until the sun went down. Every day for one week, two weeks, three weeks, they finished a month of beating their drums all day. They finished a second month of beating their drums all through the day. Three months they were beating their drums. Why? What was that about? They finally let me in on what that was about. They were convinced, Samson and his group were convinced, that if they beat their drums, it would make all the spirits happy. It would make all the spirits happy. The ancestral spirits, that is, ones that have died before, the spirits of the jungle, including the God spirit, their understanding of the God spirit. If all the spirits were happy, Harmonized, were happy and harmonized, they were convinced they were going to get rich, filthy rich. They were convinced that we missionaries had come to tell them the secret of how to have stuff. They're out there in the jungle with very little stuff. They think, okay, it it must have something to do with the God spirit. Let's get all the spirits happy, including the God spirit, and then we're going to figure out the way to get rich. We're going to get filthy rich. So they were thinking... um, When they would come to our teaching for portions of our teaching, you know, they would take it in and they would be listening, but they weren't interested in the story of the creator and how people rejected God, how they disobeyed him, how God had this plan to get people back to a relationship with himself. They weren't interested in that because what were they looking for? They were looking for a secret prayer or a secret chant, a secret word or secret something to let them in on how to get very rich. So they came to the teaching, but they weren't listening for the main points at all. And boy, were they disappointed when they didn't get immediately rich. That wasn't the only problem. Those two, those two shame and witch doctor kind of guys, but there was also another problem, and that was the enemies were moving into Hewa territory. While we were living there the whole time, they were moving in and started taking over, and with the threats of gunfire, they were threatening the Hewa, saying, you give us money, you give us pigs, or we'll kill you. That was their continual threat. And so as we got into the teaching of the word and as the months went by where we were teaching, these threats would increase and it was harder and harder for the Hewa to hear what we were teaching from the Bible. It was hard because they're thinking, 
what about us? You know, our safety. They're thinking, oh man, where do we get more pigs to give? Where do we get more money to give? The threats of killing ended up coming true. They killed my friend here, Thomas, right in our front yard, like 50 feet from my front door. They killed Thomas, and when they did that, the whole village went into meltdown, and it was complete chaos, complete war, where each side, all of a sudden, they were broken into sides, and they were shooting volleys of arrows one way and then back, arrows just raining down everywhere. All through the night, you can hear gunshots, people chasing people, people running away, and that continued. The mission sent an airplane in and evacuated us, said, you can't live there, it's not safe for you anymore in the village, and we were pulled out to town where the mission has a center, Neutrize Mission has a center, and we started renting a house there, and it just hit us like a ton of bricks. The dream of taking the message of the cross to a place it's never been is dead. Like, man, we had so much hope and so much excitement, and so we spent all our energy and the, all this finances and all this time to invest in this people group, and it's dead. Oh, my word. So we were out there in town, and I was praying, Lord, just give us wisdom. Give us a way to do this. Like, I don't know how to do it. The mission started saying, hey, there's this job or that job that you could get into. Like, uh, you can't live in the tribe anymore because it's not safe. And I flew into the tribe and flew back to town and realized, no, there's, it's, this isn't going to finish quickly. This is going to drag on and on with threats of payback killing. And so we were praying, and I would come back to the village, and I would say, I would pray with the guys, and I would bring them passages that I'd been um, translating. I finished the book of Mark and then started into Acts, and I thought, surely this will connect with them, and they'll be excited about this. This small, ragtag group of believers, they could hardly focus because they were so worried about the enemies and paybacks. And so I was talking to Yanis and some of these other guys, and I said, man, maybe we just need to leave this spot right here. Maybe we just need to find a new jungle location where we can make a little clearing, build a few huts. And anybody that wants to hear the message of the Bible, they can come. It can be a Jesus village. Nobody got excited by my, you know, my vision there because they're like, man, we, we have this nice airstrip and we have the medical clinic and we have all these nice services that the missionaries brought. They're like, we can't leave here. So we're praying, Lord, please provide a way. It's hard. I don't know what to do, but God provides some way to do this. It's like when a mother gives birth to a baby. It's hard to take care of a baby, isn't it? <laughs> Any amens from mothers? <laughs> it's hard, but you can't just abandon your baby. You can't just drop it and walk away because it's hard, right? And that's how we felt is there's a group of baby believers here and we can't walk away. How do we do this? So we're praying and talking to him. And one of the times where I went in there and was talking to Yanis, he says, my grandfather has been asking for someone to come and teach him the Bible. He's talking about his grandmother's brother, great uncle. He says, and I'm thinking about going there just, you know, just to check up on that. He says, you want to come with me? <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, we'll try it out. We hiked and hiked and hiked. It was a two-day, two-day grueling hike. We arrived way out at this spot. You got to understand, I thought we were in the middle of nowhere before, right? <laughs> this is the middle of the middle of the nowhere. This is crazy. We're out near the peak of a mountain, just down from the peak of the mountain in this little tiny clearing of gardens. Only a few houses, only 50 people. But we, and then, and then uh, as we met Fado, the village leader, and then his father, Alimbu, the patriarch, the old guy of the village, as we were meeting them, we realized, oh, my word, their dialect's a little bit different. Yanis was able to communicate just fine, but I was having a hard time understanding, and they were having a hard time understanding me, and we're like, man, can this work? Yanis and I prayed about it, and I said, you know what? I've lost all my coworkers. It's just you and me. <laughs> Would you be interested in doing the work of starting a literacy class? Would you be interested? Because I've got to go and come back and forth to my family. Would you like to do this? And he said, yeah, I'll do that. So we talked to the village, and they said, okay, yes, teach us how to read and write because we want to hear this story. We know this is a really important story. And so Yanni started the literacy program, and it worked. The first pilot program was doing fantastic. And while we were there, whoops, I went too advanced too quickly there. While we were there, Fado said to me, this is great that you're going to teach, and I want to hear what you have to say, and we realize this is going to be a few months long, and he says, but where's your family? Your wife needs to be with you, your kids, where, where are they? And I said, ah, oh, man, you know, the, uh, it's, uh, it's a long hike to get here, and I don't think my wife can do that, and um, 
our money is depleted because we had, you know, put it all into that original location, building those houses and that airstrip and all that. And uh, I said, besides, where would we live? Like, you've been so wonderful to host me and sweet potato every day, and that's great, but that's hard. Um, and he says, oh, you need a house? Why don't you tell me? He says, I'll build you a house. He says, my, uh, the finance side, that's your part. You figure that out. He says, you, you, you come, bring your wife, and I'll, I'll, I'll make a house while you're gone. And sure enough, he did. Look at this little hut he made for us. What a cool thing. So we arrived and uh, the house was a blessing. They fed us every day. The sweet potatoes, mostly every breakfast, lunch, and supper out of their garden. The smoke was just horrendous as Susan's trying to cook this food, you know. It's stinging our eyes all day long. It was really hard to translate and sit there and work on lessons and stuff in the house. But it was well worth it. Why? Because when we started teaching this group, they were engaged. From the very beginning, there wasn't any of this back and forth to the witch doctor beating drums, trying to figure out how to get rich. There wasn't any of this fighting going on with enemies. They were engaged. They listened as we went through the same program, creation all the way through the story of Jesus. They embraced Yanis and fed him as well as ourselves. Yanis and this other young believer, Ken, acted out the death, burial, and resurrection. And guys, a church was born. Praise the Lord. You have brothers and sisters of Christ out in this remote area of the world, you know. So we were excited because Fado came to me, the leader of this village, and he says, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for all these years. He says, I did not hear this story. I've heard little things, but this is the story. He says, I understand that Jesus paid my sin debt. He says, I am now on the Jesus trail following Jesus. I'm on the Jesus Trail, and my village is on the Jesus Trail. Yeah, praise the Lord. So I was excited, and this is the kind of stuff we, we saw as we walked around the village, is people gather around. What are they doing? What are they looking at? They're looking at the Word of God, right? There's people that are studying the Bible, portions of the Bible that I've been translating, and uh, they're trying to help other people that don't know how to read yet learn how to read, and they're just, what are they reading? There's nothing else to read, only the Bible, but they were into it. We held our second baptism, and those were exciting days. And then it was time for our furlough. We came back to the States, and that's when we adopted McKenna. In Phoenix there, we were in Phoenix for a couple of years. As this adoption process was going through, and we were wondering, how is this group of baby believers? Are they going to hang in there? We finally flew back to the tribe, and it was fun, and fun to introduce McKenna to them. And uh, then uh, hear their stories. Yes, there was some complications and there was things to work through. But as a whole, they were eager to hear more of the word of God. We were able to start teaching Romans and Ephesians and work toward 1 Corinthians. And it was exciting. But they had one hiccup. They said, can you help us while you were gone for those two years? We had medical emergencies, more than one. Alimbu, the patriarch of the village, his wife had gotten sick and died. Yannis had gotten married, and he had a firstborn son, and he died. And there was another child that died. And they said, please, can you help us build an airstrip? So we prayed through it and thought, man, if we build an airstrip, maybe we're going to be attracting the enemies to come and live here and just destroy this sweet thing that's going on. So we prayed about it. Lord, what do we do? The men went looking through the jungle. They finally located a a, a spot, a, a flat area that was just long enough had to be 600 meters that's six football fields end to end 45 meters wide they found this spot and as a village we prayed about it and decided this is where we're moving the whole village is going to move there so i said okay but wait this area that we marked off as an airstrip before an airstrip i put little ribbons out there on stakes and i said uh, don't cut down any of those trees because we don't have a bulldozer we don't have a backhoe we have no way to dig out these massive stumps So I said, if you want to cut down the trees all around the airstrip, do that, you know, for your gardens and houses and stuff. But we've got to dig out those trees because I don't have money. There's no more volunteers coming. They're all used up. And the village was like, yep, we're doing this. No worries. Okay. So they went and they started chopping down the trees for their gardens all around the peripheral, outside of the airstrip. And then when they had their gardens all planted and they, you know, had their houses established or building their houses then we started digging out these trees oh my word digging under the tree until the whole tree fell over ripping the rip ball right out of the ground with it so the lord kept us safe the entire time praise the lord as we worked on this and they um 
they saw this as their Israelites walking through the Red Sea moment where God pulled this off. It was too big of a job for them. There's only a few young men. But they did it. They were able to do it and see that it was God that did it through them. You can barely see our house. A a team came and helped me build my house right there in the middle right of this picture here. So I had a place to live. These guys were uh, learned how to use the chainsaw and did a fantastic job. And they burned up all the excess wood that they couldn't use for firewood or house construction or whatever. And then the Lord provided a little tractor. A little tiny tractor. It was a gift to us. We had to pay for it to be flown in there on a helicopter, pay for the mechanics to take it apart and then reassemble it. But they put it, and it started, we started using this tractor to grade, to create this uh, long airstrip. And also at the same time, the Lord gave us new coworkers. Praise the Lord. The Georges. And uh, um, he and I worked on, John Michael George and I worked on, We tag-teamed all day, every day, grading this airstrip. And, of course, the weather didn't cooperate as much as we would have liked. But finally, this is the gift that the Lord gave us, this beautiful little place to live with this group of people that were hungry to hear his word. What a blessing it is to have MAF and New Tribes airplanes land there right in our front yard. What a blessing it was to see John Michael and Jesse be able to turn their full-time attention to language and culture studies McKenna was happy because she had some English-speaking friends as well as her tribal friends. I was happy because I had a smoke-free place to work on translation and lesson, lesson preparation, preparation, preparation. And then uh, I was super happy that they weren't distracted by the airstrip and their hopes of all the you know improvement of their life. They were still very, very much wanting to hear the next book of the Bible. And so we started teaching... Um, Teaching more as we taught more I could see that God was raising up six Faithful young men who had a passion not only to absorb the word of God, but to teach the word of God to their Their peers Susan was excited because the village asked her. They said man. We really need education We're out here in the jungle and we know we need education. Can you help us with that? She started a school a Christian school sometimes as many as 90 students in these different classes that she was teaching and the whole time She continued to homeschool McKenna. She had two programs that she was overseeing. One was education. The other was the medical. She's always training people, how the most faithful young men, how to to um, diagnose and administer medicine to their most common illnesses. Built a little medical clinic. And over time, it was Yanis that became the most faithful, the best learner and the most faithful to treat the village sicknesses every single day. Praise the Lord. Another part of the medical program was Susan realized... They need help with babies, delivering babies. There's so many ladies die in childbirth of things that can be stopped. And most babies die within two weeks of their birth. Like, I don't know the statistics because nobody was recording them before we got there, but it looked like, man, close to 85% of babies died in two weeks. Like, infant mortality rate was terrible. So she started teaching some of the the best, uh, the sharpest and uh, young women, how to diagnose, I mean, how to take care of women as they're giving birth and how to take care of that precious little bundle that arrives. And uh, a hospital in town invited her to bring some of the women out there. And this meta, this uh, program has developed. Susan has just continued to train and nurture these young ladies to where now Amias here in the purple shirt is the one that's in charge of the medical clinic. She's doing all the prenatal stuff, all the birthing in the middle of the night way off in the jungle but she asked us if we could build a little meta, a little birthing clinic and so i've got a picture of that in a second but what a joy to see mothers bring their newborn babies you know and let us peek at them and go wow thank you for this gift one sunday there was like six newborn babies there and they're like you got to come take a picture of this this is so cool that's the little birthing clinic that we built. But this has given confidence and encouragement to these women that are trusting in Jesus. Amias leads Bible studies. Right now, she and her husband are actually one of our first missionaries, taking, taking the message of the cross to another Hewa village that's a whole day's hike away, nine-hour hike away. But God has been doing beautiful things that have helped us overcome the obstacles the challenges and boy i wish i could tell the whole story but we are out of time so i'll try to make it quick timothy as we were teaching first timothy i could see that god had given us these six men with passion to teach his word i asked them to bring others with them to shepherd 
who we're calling Timothys. So each of these guys brought somebody or more than one person with them. Sometimes we'd have more than 20 people come and help. And I stopped doing the major teaching I, uh, in church. I started teaching these men so that they could teach. I'd give them photocopied lessons so that they could go to the church and teach. And that's been growing and developing well. And instead of discouraging people from coming to church, it's only accelerated. And this village that's now over 150 people, men, women, children, all of them packed into this little tiny church. Well, they couldn't fit in our little old church. They're outside in this overflow. John Michael got to the place where he is fluent enough to start helping me teach. And so he taught some of the books of the Bible. It was cool to see him teach Titus, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 2nd Second Timothy. But then his wife got sick, very sick where they haven't been able to stay in the tribe and they've had to return to Mississippi. So it's been very sad for us, but I'm turning back in this last term, turning back to the, to the ones that God has given us and say to them, guys, it's just us. Would you like to carry on? And they're like, yes, give us more. And so in this last term, we decided, you know what we need to do to pass the baton is to do a real good discipleship program where they can mark spiritual growth, right? Uh, somebody gets born again, born into the family of God, and then they go through this infancy where they've got to be potty trained, and I mean, it's just a mess. And then you go to the next level, and you go to the next level, and you go to the next level in spiritual development. Okay, I'm looking at this six that God's given us, and their Timothys, and saying, how do we help the village go through this process? Like, what does it really mean? What does Jesus' style of love look like here in the jungle? What does Jesus' style of service look like here in the jungle what is his compassion what is his looking into other lives and seeing where their spiritual needs are let's develop this and uh, so as we were teaching this discipleship program these guys were going back to their huts and they were teaching in their huts at night pretty much every night of the week i think except for sunday when we met in our church corporate church and as they were doing their home studies some of these guys were coming to me and saying you're right they were saying you're right there's some people in our houses that actually have never been born again they've been coming to church but they're not born again and they would get excited about you know what was happening and how they would prayed with somebody and so then they they were like well we, you know how do we know and we we're working on this idea of giving a testimony being able to articulate faith in jesus that he's paid my sin debt and given me a relationship with my creator how can you articulate this so then one person was excited and gave their testimony another another came and gave their testimony and we it turned into this testimony fever where everybody wanted to give their testimony and not just in private but they came into church and soon we're you know everybody in front of the whole crowd was given their story of how they came to a place of faith trusting in jesus and it was this beautiful i gotta tell you i wish you could have seen it you know this beautiful thing where god was just igniting their hearts in this last term and i said well you know my uh, daughter she's ready to get um, baptized because she's uh, she also has a story of faith her faith in jesus what do you think do you think there's others that would like to get baptized and they're like yeah let's do this so we went with with my when my daughter was ready to get baptized and everybody was gathered together there was 49 people this last term that got baptized praise the lord with a testimony of faith God is moving. He invites us to join him. And are there troubles and trials in the, in the middle of that story? Yeah. Yeah. But that's to show that God is the one doing the deal. I'm not adequate. I can't do this. I can't impress them. I can't win them over to my point of view. I can't prove to them that the Bible is true and that God, you know, is, is superior to their, you know, the spirits that they adore. It has to be God that does it, and he uses us weak and fragile vessels to communicate his message. He invites us to join him in his story. So that was exciting to see them baptized, and on the heels of that, we helped the church walk through the process of ordaining, laying hands on and praying for the ones that God had already obviously brought up as their elders and deacons in their church their spiritual leaders it's just a privilege to show you these guys so then we went into you know building our church and all that but that's not really the story um i've got to wrap this up the school the school that susan had been developing we were burdened and praying about it and we had invited the government to send teachers in to help because now we've got all these students that are meeting regularly well, one time we had a pastor from town, a believer from the town of Garoka, or the Yimbi, I'm sorry, from the Benabena tribe. He came in. We invited him to come to help us teach a marriage in a, in a child-raising class. And when he got there, he saw Susan's 
school, her school program that was going on, and he just lit up. He says, what you're doing here is so great. This is so good. I love this. He says, but what's going to happen after you leave? He's talking about furlough and in the future, not knowing about all the turmoil that the world's going into, right? But he says, what's going to happen? And I said, well, I've really worked on getting, you know, a teacher from the government here. And he says, ah, you don't want a teacher from the government anywhere. There's so many disaster stories of how non-saved guys come into a beautiful scenario like this, what you've developed here in this tribe. And they ruin it. They undermine it. They take all the boys away to go pan for gold or whatever. You you don't want a a teacher. He says, what you need to do is start a Christian school. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to have a Christian teacher. He says, you need a Christian teacher here. I says, yeah, that'd be great. But like, how could we ever pay for that? And besides that, how would I find the right teachers, ones with passion for the Lord Jesus and investing in the hearts of kids and he said, ah, the financial part, that's your concern. You worry about that. He says, I'm going to go interview some teachers, some qualified teachers. He went back to Garoka and he started interviewing different teachers. And he found us a guy named Gabriel. He brought him into the tribe and Gabriel interviewed. And we all heard his testimony and really got to hear his heart and decided, you know what? God has given us this man as our teacher. So we, the village got together real quick and built him a little house. A little, a tiny house, smaller than 12 by 12, like it's a real little house. They built him a little house and invited him in, and he came, and he started teaching school. And guys, just, I just am so grateful for the Lord doing this. Now, as we're here in the States, they're still continu- continuing to be educated by somebody that cares about their soul. He starts every day by teaching a Bible class and then goes into the other things. And uh, praise the Lord for that. He's got a beautiful heart, and we've heard news. I wish we could hear more news about how this school is going, but the news that we have heard has been all positive. He finished that first whole semester. He said, man, we need a second teacher. And so Joel helped us find another teacher. While I've been here in the States, he's already started. We've got, I don't know how many students we have. We have to see when we get back. But somewhere around 70 students are coming faithfully to school. Praise the Lord. So, the last day we were there, the very last day, as we're preparing to fly out, the village invited us outside, and they said, we really need to, um, we need to meet with you. And as we were there, with this, the big group there, they started giving story, one after another. They each took turns saying, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for staying all these years. Thank you for putting up with, thank you for not running away when you saw guns and arrows and those kind of things. Thank you for sticking it out through sickness. Thank you for investing in our life. Praise the Lord. But it's not a thank you for me. When I was there, I was thinking of you guys. Like, we're only one tiny part. Susan and I are just a tiny part of the team it takes to bring this story of you know, the story, this awesome story to a place it's never been before. You guys should have heard this. I wish you could have heard it. They're saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for the years, the years that you've invested in this tribe. Praise the Lord, you know. When uh, Pastor, I'm sorry, uh, John, John Bundy came and Clovis came, they got to hear a few thank yous. But man, I wish you all could have heard it when, when they were given it this day. So what's the point in telling this story? Obviously, it's telling God's story of what he's doing. He is at work all over the world. But it's also to leave you with this verse right here. See, God is inviting us to join him still in taking this message of the gospel, this beautiful story to a place it's never been, to draw people from every single corner of the globe to himself. And our question needs to be, so what is my part in it? You know, is it here in Prescott? If it's here in Prescott, I need to be faithful. I need to be vocal. I need to be doing my very best to tell his story. But maybe God from this group right here is drawing new missionaries, (laughs) people to become missionaries, to turn their back on the American dream and say, you know, I could make a pile of money and I could live the last part of my life, you know, self-supporting, doing stuff. But no, I'm not. Right now, I'm going to invest in his kingdom and give everything I have for his cause, for his purpose, so that people from every single tribal group can come and bow before his throne someday. Guys, the job is not near done. There's still other villages. There's still other language groups that don't have a verse of the Bible 
in their language. Can you imagine that? They don't have an option. They don't have a way to hear the awesome story of how God has reach, is reaching out to them and drawing them to himself, unless somebody goes. So this verse right here at the end of Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, ask the, I'm sorry, chapter 9, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Can I leave this verse with you as cornerstone? Unfortunately, this is our last time here. We're, we're going to start our travels. We have a wedding next weekend, and we're going to start our travels uh, in preparation to head back to Papua New Guinea in July. But as we leave, can this be a new heart cry of this family? Looking around, saying, okay, who is it? Who is God going to send out next to the next tribal group? From right here, from the Cornerstone family. And then rallying around that person, supporting them in every way, encouraging them in every way to take the next step. What is this next step? How can we, this venture of taking the story of the gospel to a place it's never been, how can we do this? Make this your prayer. Lord, that you would raise up workers for your harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. As you pray around mealtime, as you pray all the time, anytime, don't forget to say, Lord, that you'd raise up new workers. In this time of chaos, in this time of separation, in this time where everybody's talking about COVID and all the terrible things that are happening around the world, God's mission has never changed, has it? He still has the same plan to draw people to himself from every part of the world. Is it going to be easy to send missionaries or take the gospel? Absolutely not. It's going to be challenging. But he's the one that's doing it. He's the one that's going to take us through the obstacles. Make this your prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. Thank you for revealing the awesomeness of who you are. Thank you for inviting us to join you in your story. Help us to give up our dreams, our ideas of a story and just adopt yours and go full on living for your story, your glory among the nations. God, that you would raise up right here from Cornerstone, from Prescott, passionate people who will turn their backs on their dreams, the American dream, to follow you and to shine your light to the nations. I thank you for what you're going to do because I know you are in the process of doing this very thing. Can't wait to see you, God. Can't wait to bow in front of your throne with people from Hewa and from all the other languages that we don't even know about, worshiping you. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.